Good morning, Oakwood. Glad you're here to start the new year, and hopefully you had a great uh, Christmas season. I had a reminder of a candlelight uh, Christmas Eve service just a little bit ago as I went to flip on my mic, and I had candle wax on the top of my mic pack. So I had to scrape that off. I was like, what is this, like donut crumbs or whatever? I mean, I had a donut, and I was like, oh, it's wax from the Christmas Eve service. So a uh, great Christmas season. Hopefully yours was great as well as we uh, celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the incarnation, uh, God taking on the form of man, coming into the world. Just a great, great time and, and, and hopefully a great, great season as we get into 2020. Um, I picked an, a really original uh, sermon title for the day. Probably no one in any other church picked 2020 Vision. Um, it just seemed to be out there, like, you know, just go for it. So, uh, but no, seriously, uh, we're going to be talking about a vision for the new year. And I think it's good that we pause for a moment and we think back to 2019. And if you think back to 2019, you were to characterize the year somehow, would you say 2019 was a good year or 2019 was eh, just an average year or 2019 was a bad year? And if you think about that for yourself, just your personal life, good year, bad year, average year, you have to be thinking about it categorically, right? Because maybe, maybe it was a good year for you financially, but it was a bad year for you relationally. Or, or, or may, you know, maybe last year was a great year in, in this area, but this area really lacked. But as you think and you look back, I wonder how many of us pause and really reflect and think about the new year and the old year spiritually. Like, have you asked that question yet this year? Did I grow in my faith in Jesus Christ more in 2019? Do I feel like I'm closer to God? Do I feel like I, 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 my faith is bigger than it was before, that, that I'm just growing in that area of trust in the Almighty God? Or was I just kind of stagnant last year? I just feel like I, I, didn't, I didn't grow, but I didn't, I didn't really regress at all. I'm just kind of just kind of status quo for the year. Maybe you felt like, man, I went through so much and I was mad at God and I pulled away from God. But it's a good time to take a moment and to think about the past, but also to look forward to the future. And that's what we're going to be looking at and talking about today. Now, last week I had a Sunday off. And what all preachers do when they have a Sunday off is they go to church, okay? I just want you to know that. And, and I love the church, so uh, I was in uh, Fort Worth, Texas at my sister's uh, doing Christmas with the uh, Keller family. And uh, while I was there, I got to visit the Hills Church. And while I was at the Hills Church, that's where the men's conferences that we're going to uh, go to in just a few weeks. And so I just wanted to kind of let you know about that, that I actually uh, got to visit there, and it was a great, great service. And one of the things that the minister said, which was funny how God orchestrates this sometimes, it was a verse that I'd actually been looking at for today's message and, and talking about a 2020 vision and, and how are we going to grow and what's the challenge for the new year. And so I'm be able to share that with you this morning, but I felt like that was affirmed in the, in the service I got to attend last week and, and just a great time. And just a good reminder to me too, uh, that there's other brothers and sisters in the Lord all around the world and they love Jesus and they love the Bible and they sing worship songs that may be a little different than ours, but uh, it, it was just a great, great time. And so I encourage you as you go and, and, and travel is uh, don't miss a Sunday. Is like make that a priority in your life uh, to be in church each and every uh, Sunday, even if it's not here uh, as you travel. Check out, a, check out a local church. There's some really neat things God can do as you're visiting there. But as we begin uh, this year, I really want to talk about spiritual growth and, and how do we achieve that. More than that, because that's really kind of just a selfish thing, but 
I mean, God desires that, but how do we grow in our relationship with God? How can we find ourselves deeper with him and doing, actually living out and being active in what the Lord desires of our lives? So if you have your Bible this morning, let's begin with the scripture. And our scripture we're going to look at today is 2 Timothy 2.2. So it's 2020, and we're going to look at 2.2.2, 2 Timothy 2.2. Discipleship is kind of the theme for today. And this is a great verse, and it's one of those verses, again, that I think so many times we'll read it, and we'll go on and say, that was a nice verse, but there's so much there, and there's actually uh, so much more there uh, to the eye that when I draw it out in a little bit, you're going to be like, wow, there's, there's a lot in that verse. Uh, but for, uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, I'm actually going to skip back to verse 1 just to kind of complete it, uh, kind of give you a little bit of background here. This is a letter, 2 Timothy is a letter that the Apostle Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he wrote this letter to Timothy, who was a young underling in the faith, kind of his understudy, one of the people he had taken under his wing and said, hey, I'm going to disciple you, I'm going to grow you and mature you in the faith. And so uh, let's pick it up there, um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, says this, you then, my child, and he's not talking to, to Timothy because he's his actual child, he's talking about his child in the Lord, his, his child in, in, in Jesus. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened. The, the word strengthened there in the Greek actually gives us this idea of endurance and diligence. He says, you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, here's our verse that we're really going to focus in on today. It says this, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, the reason Paul says that is to kind of validate that I'm not telling you something, Timothy, that I haven't told other Christians and other followers of Christ he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you, what, what is he supposed to do? Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach to others also. And that word faithful there means reliable, means trustworthy, someone who really cares about it. And, and it's really talking about uh, um, the spreading of the word of God and the growing of the saints. That after we accept Christ, we're expected to become more like Jesus, to love him more, to grow in our faith in him, to, to trust him more every day, to become like Christ in, in our attitudes and in our actions and in our mindset and our thought life. And all these different areas of life should be a progression in the Christian life clear until the day that we're taken to heaven. That, that, that is God's plan is that we'd be growing in Him. Now, I want to go back to a couple of reviews from 2019 of some scriptures that we talked about last year that really lead us into this idea of discipleship and how we're going to accomplish that. The first one is Matthew 28, and I have these on the screen for you. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus' marching orders to his followers says what? It says we're supposed to make disciples. How? Baptize them. It shows their conversion. It's, it's an outward sign of the inward change that God is doing in their life. We're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't stop there. The Great Commission, oh, you know, we just get them baptized. We get them converted. That's it. No, no. It says baptize them. And then it says teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Have you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And have you read everything that Jesus told the disciples to do on how to live and how to treat one another and how to worship God, how to make God the priority in their life? It's all right in there. And he says that not only are we going to make disciples and baptize them, we're going to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And he says, and I'm going to be with you always. 
As you carry out this mission in life, don't think you can do it on your own. Don't think you can do it on your own strength. The Holy Spirit of God is needed and will be with you all the time, clear to the end of life, clear to the very end of the age. And so we get our marching orders. And when we accept Christ, we accept that now that we're a disciple, we're supposed to make other disciples. Another verse of Scripture is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You may remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8 from a series that we started very early in 2019 called Witness. And it was talking about how we were supposed to be witnesses for God's kingdom in the way we live, in the way we love, in the way we serve. Look at, look at what it says, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is also the words of Jesus Christ. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, which we see just a chapter later in Acts chapter 2. And then it says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. When we read that verse, we've got to think about it in today's terms. You will be my witnesses in Enid and Wacomus and Hennessy and Ringwood and all the little communities around and even to the ends of the earth. You'll be my witnesses. Why? Because we're going to bear witness to the truth of the gospel. And we're going to bear witness by the example that we're setting with how we live our lives. With our speech, our life, our love, our faith, our purity. Those things are going to be reflected to other people. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Then it leads us into 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20. And 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us. We are actually Christ's ambassadors. We are representatives of the Most High God. We are representing the kingdom of God. And it says here that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, representing him to the world, and that God is making his appeal, his appeal of salvation to the world through us as his ambassadors. Now that, that is something that's kind of like, whoa, that's kind of, that's kind of a heavy Thing there that, that, that somebody might be making a decision for Jesus Christ and might be feeling led to God or led toward the church or led to reading scripture or prayer or led to questions about God because of the way that I'm living my life. I'm his representative. And everywhere I go, in my speech and how I conduct myself, in my thought life, in my purity, in my faith, that those are on display for the world to see because we are Christ's ambassadors. So, we start with the Great Commission that we're to make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. We, we get to the fact that we are his witnesses, and then we're also called the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. So we know that there needs to be this faith that we have, and that it's a growing faith that is on the increase in our lives. So now we get back to, let's go back to 2 Timothy 2.2. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to Faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul's telling Timothy that as I've grown you, I want you to pass that on to someone else who's going to pass that on to someone else. And we see this idea here of, of, of it's almost like a generational or a tiered process of something we call discipleship. And this is how God intended it to grow. If you think about it, how did Christianity ever get out of the first century with just a, a handful of disciples and followers of Jesus? What did they do? They did the Great Commission. Jesus told them right before he left, right? He said, make disciples. So what did Peter and James and John and, and all of them, what did they do? They made disciples. Now, if it had stopped there, it would have stopped maybe in the late first century, early second century. Christianity would have ceased. But they read the Great Commission 
They were taught to obey everything that Jesus commanded them. And then what did that lead them to? To make disciples. So you had disciples, the originals, who made disciples, 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 clear till 2020, where we could have a room full of Jesus lovers and Jesus followers today. And it's all because of faithful men who took the mission of Jesus so seriously that they built relationship with others and passed that faith along and grew each other into maturity, into the fullness of Jesus Christ. And it's awesome. And that's the way God intended it to be. That's how he's going to grow. That's how he's going to grow the kingdom of God. That's how he's going to grow the souls in heaven. That's how he's going to grow the church. Is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's God's plan and it's been his plan all along. The fact is, how are we executing the mission today? And don't think about it just as the church because you are the church. If you're here this morning, you're part of God's church. So you are the church. How are you as a part of God's church taking that mission seriously. So it really leads us to a couple questions that I want to begin with this morning. The first one is this. Who is discipling you? Who is discipling you? Now, today with technology and it's wonderful, uh, we have this way of getting taught and fed and, and discipled in some ways through teaching. Uh, we can do that online, right? I mean, you can leave the church um, and, and go find sermons everywhere. You can uh, get into podcasts. My wife and I are really into podcasts right now. I listen to leadership podcasts and church podcasts and preaching podcasts and all kinds of different things. Uh, my wife loves parenting podcasts, marriage podcasts, because she's trying to you know, work on me within that, that area. Um, but you know, all of these different things, and you can just consume that stuff. And it's great, and it can grow you. You can learn things and, and be challenged in your faith. But what are you missing what are we missing from 2 Timothy 2.2? 2, 2? We're missing the relational component. That we can sit there and think about it and consume it, but we don't have anybody to, what, feed that back to, to talk to about it. Someone to hold us accountable. Hey, I have this new thought this week. I got taught this. What do you think about it? That's great. I want to live this out in my life. That's great. Then do it. Okay, but oh man, I already fell, fell back here. Hey, I want to encourage you. I'm praying for you. You keep, the, keep moving that direction. Keep moving and growing in this area. And, and we miss that relational component. Because we're just so inundated with information. There's nothing wrong in and of itself, but it's not discipleship the way God created it to be. And it's hard to be accountable to the podcast with 40,000 listeners. Okay, That guy probably doesn't even know your name. But he's a good teacher, yes. And you can learn something, yes. But we need to get to that point where we're sharing with others. We're in each other's lives. And that's why we make such a push here at Oakwood to get you into connect groups to get you into a smaller group where you can have friends and people that you can go to, that you can talk to, that you can share with, that you can be accountable to. Because we feel like that's critical for your growth in Jesus Christ. And we see it modeled throughout Scripture, especially there in 2.2.2, in 2 Timothy 2.2. So the first thing is, who is discipling you? The second thing I want you to consider is, who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? Who's the one that you're learning things and, and growing, but now you're pouring yourself out into others? Because guess what? If you start discipling others, if you start to do the Great Commission to make disciples, if you help them find Jesus Christ, and where it says, that be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What I love is we had over, I don't know the final numbers, 40, 45 baptisms last year. Most of those baptisms last year, most, I would say 75, 80%, were baptized by you. You. You baptizing your kids, you baptizing your friends. 
It was really done by the, the people of God. They were sharing their life with others. And we find that that comes to fruition in a, in a conversion. And all that the baptism symbolizes. And then we find out that the mission isn't over. What, what do we do? What do we do with a new or baby Christian? It says to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, that's the whole Bible. That's a lot of Scripture. That's a lot to do. But we keep those relationships going because they're going to be growing. And so our mission as followers of Jesus Christ is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Which means someone is discipling us, but we are also discipling others. Now, I've had the great privilege of having many great disciplers in my life. I think back to my youth minister in high school. His name was Bob Belts. Bob uh, took me under his wing about 13 years old and, and grew me into someone who cared and loved about Jesus by the time I was 16 or 17. And I had made a decision at a Christ in Youth Conference to give my life to full-time ministry. Now, I never thought I'd be preaching and doing what I am today, but I did want to work with students and help them to not be as ornery as I was. And so that was my, my mission, my calling, and I, and I got that at a very early age. I'm very thankful to a Bob Belts. I'm thankful <clears throat> to a man named Dick Alexander. Uh, if, if you have never heard of Dick, Dick was an excellent preacher, but Dick uh, lost his voice. And it's really hard to preach when you've lost your voice, but actually Dick Alexander continues to preach. He's just so low and so raspy in his voice uh, that they have to turn his mic up to like 20 to be heard. But that man's heart just beats for the Lord. I got to meet him at a large church pastor's conference in Las Vegas years ago. We've stayed connected. He's one of those that speaks into my life. He'll call me. He'll talk to me. And there was this pivotal moment when I allowed Dick to get close into Eric's life. We were at one of our, our conferences, and I actually got to be on the planning team for it. And, and we were meeting in a session, and the session was called Dump Your Truck. And you were in groups of four, and Dick Alexander just happened to be in my group. And what it was was senior ministers at churches dumping their truck. And so we got to whatever was bugging us, whatever was ailing us, whatever we were mad about, whatever we were sad about, whatever it was, we were just allowed to just vent. And, and to vent inside that group. And, and it was like a three-hour deal. So they gave each minister about 45 minutes to talk. And I just remember I was sharing some things I was frustrated with that would never get back to the church at Oakwood. And I remember Dick Alexander one of, the, one of these key moments in life is he, he said, Eric, I think I know your problem. I said, what's that? Because I was, I was like dying. I was like, yeah, help me. He said, I think I know your problem. You used to think that you and God could do anything. And I'm just not sure you believe that anymore. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> you talk about stabbing someone in the heart. I mean, I love Jesus, and, but I think he was right. I'd gone through a season where I just felt like I was just constantly uh, being beat up and, and just being criticized, and there's some things going on in my life that was, they were just bad. It was just such a negative season, but I remember him saying, you know what, the reason you could overcome that in the years past was because you really believed and you had faith that you and God could do anything, and now I think you, you've kind of fallen back in that. And I remember he encouraged me, and I remember after the conference he called me and he emailed me. And See, we need those kind of people in our life. They'll speak some truth. But we can't have that if we don't have relationships. And I want to encourage you to do that. So the two questions that we really need to pause and answer today is, who is discipling you and who are you discipling? Because when we do this, and I want to show you a visual on this. That's why I brought this pad up here today. Um, just to kind of illustrate this. This 2 Timothy 2, 2 process. Because if you think about it, this is how it goes in that scripture, right? You have the Apostle Paul, and all of these people will be represented by my stick figures, because that's 
about as much creativity and art I have. But the Apostle Paul, what does he say? He just says it to one in this passage, but we know there are others. But he says over here to Timothy, and there's Tim, he looks a lot like Paul. He's a child of Paul's, right? A child in the faith. And he says to Timothy, he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, pass on to other faithful people who will teach others. So, for instance, and just for this illustrative purpose, let's say that Timothy had three. The chances are that Timothy had many more than three. And the fact is that we know that Paul had many more than Timothy, right? I mean, we got... Who else was with Paul? Paul and uh, Silas. We have Paul, uh, Barnabas, the son of encouragement. I mean, Paul probably could fill up this page just with the ones that he was discipling. Just the ones that he was relationally connected to. But for the sake of illustration and thinking what we're trying to get out of the the Scripture today, he tells Timothy, Timothy, you're going to pass along what you have heard and what I've, I've taught you and how I've matured you in the faith to godly men who will take it and pass it on to godly men. And so let's say each one of these, these people said, hey, I've got a couple people here. Uh, this guy had a couple of people that he felt led to disciple, a couple friends of his. And, and then every once in a while you get uh, one of these Christians that really takes it seriously. And what they do is, is they, they pass it on to everybody. Everybody they come to contact with, they're going to pray with them. They're going to invite everybody to be in their small group. And so you got somebody crazy over here that's discipling like more than I can draw here. We'll, put, we'll give them five people here. Uh, but, and you can see that, that when this happens, these chains happen, how the faith is passed along and how you get the concept from the apostle Paul that you're going to take what I have taught you and what I poured you, you're going to find godly people to pour that into. And those people are going to find godly people. And then hopefully these people will take serious Matthew 28 that we're supposed to make disciples and they're going to find their people. And it's just going to go on and you can see just how it's, it's, it's miraculous in, in its, its numerical increase. Now, you could have this straight line of this person that discipled this person, that discipled this person, and you could have this you know, chain of discipleship that's just a straight line that goes down because everybody got their one, and that's fine, but that's not really the heart of the gospel. That's not really what the, what the Scripture says when it says we're supposed to make disciples. It's plural. So that would indicate that we're supposed to be pouring more than into just one. But hey, if, if everybody could do one, it'd be a start, right? Here's the problem. We get down here to this guy. And, you know, he, he loves Jesus, or at least he say he would. Um, he doesn't really take the gospel mission serious, and so he doesn't pour into anyone else. And you find with this guy that it stops that the discipleship never gets passed on. Now, now this, he's a nice guy. He cusses less than most people. He does. Um, he was in Sunday school for like 29 years. Uh, a lot of scripture memorized. He, he comes to church semi-regularly. Um, better than semi-annually, right? Okay, so semi-regularly. You know, he was in Sunday school. He might even give a little in the offering plate. He's a, he's a nice fella, but... He never, ever makes a disciple in his life. I wonder what that is. Like, is that an awkward conversation when you make it to heaven? Is what did you do for my kingdom while you were on earth? Who'd you bring with you? Nobody, Lord. I did memorize scripture, though. Lots. And I could have shared it with lots of people. But I chose to keep it to myself. Jesus says, hide it under a bush? No. 
Let it shine. I mean, did you read about letting your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven? Did you not read scriptures like 2 Timothy 2.2 that says, hey, we're going to pass it on to godly people. We'll pass it on to godly people. See, that scripture, if you think about it, 2 Timothy 2.2, has four generations of discipleship in it. You have Paul, you have Timothy, you have the faithful men who will tell others. Then I just wrote a backwards four. That's okay. You have four generations of it just right there in one verse of Scripture. And I'm just thinking, how much more should we be about the Lord's work? Another one of the privileges I have in, in just talking to people, I have met a guy named Eric Schonsberg. Eric Schonsberg is an uh, author who wrote a discipleship curriculum. He's also a college professor. He's Dr. Eric Schonsberg. And just through a discipleship networking and stuff over the years, I've got to know him. He affectionately calls me the other Eric. So I've been calling him the other Eric. And when we email back and forth, he'll see be like, how's the other Eric doing? Well, how's the other Eric doing? He's from Louisville, Kentucky, and he teaches at um, a Bible college there, a Christian college there. And one of the things we were talking about over break, he was just asking how discipleship was going on in our church. He'd just done some doctoral you know, scholarly studies and, and, and had gotten some data, was, was sharing it with me. But he said something very, very interesting it just kind of goes along with the theme today, so I put it on the screens for you so you can read it too. But this was, just came from an, an, an email from the other Eric, uh, Dr. Eric, and this is what he said. We are talking about discipleship in the church and Christianity. He said, there are two common significant barriers to a process of discipleship. People need to move from large group to small group, from corporate worship, which is what we're doing now, corporate worship, to a more intimate experience of Christian community. Okay, this guy's really smart, done tons of study. He says, hey, you've got to make the jump from the corporate worship experience to a small group. Second thing, and he says, and they need to move from passive, from being passive in their faith to active. From just show up opportunities where they consume to making significant investments in their apprenticeship with Jesus Christ. And it sounds really simple, doesn't it? But... The question we have to ask out of his statements here is, but are we doing that and are we living that? Have we taken that step out of just the corporate worship experience and we've got some spiritual friends that we strategically partner with to learn scripture, to grow deeper, to to, uh, form maturity, to work on purity, to uh, work on our marriages and relationships and to become kingdom people, kingdom workers that will take the gospel seriously and take it out into the world. I wonder, does anyone disagree with the other Eric's statement? Those are really two of, the, two of the things that he sees that are the most significant. And if we would all say, you know what, you're probably right. Okay, there's something about relational discipleship in a small group. And there's something about from going from passive in the church to being active in the church. From being a consumer that's always just attending to consume more to being a person that's actually using their talents, their gifts, and their abilities, and what God's laid on their heart, a passion for ministry, to serve other people. So in knowing that, what needs to change to get us there? I want to close our time together today with three very quick things. The first one is this, commit to the spiritual priority. You need to commit to the spiritual priority. Let me explain what I mean. If you are here this morning, you say, I am an awesome hunter. I mean, I'll tell you what, I'm the, I, I, could, I should be on all the sports outdoor channels. You know, I should have my own television show. I mean, I can fish, I can hunt, I can shoot a bow, I can shoot a gun, I can shoot a rifle, I can shoot a shotgun, I can shoot anything that moves. I mean, I am a great, great hunter. 
my guess is you've probably spent some time hunting. I know it's deep, folks. Deep, deep well right here, okay? You have probably spent some time hunting. In fact, you probably at some point made it a priority in your life. And if you are a great hunter and you're thinking about last year, 2019, you could probably tell me stories and you could look at the calendar and say, my calendar, I had hunting. I had hunting on the calendar. Maybe some fishing on the calendar. And that's why I'm really good at it because I do it all the time. I buy equipment for it. I study it. I read. I watch YouTube videos on it. I mean, I listen to podcasts on it. I watch this. And I get together with friends. And I learn about their lure, I learn about their rifle, or I learn about their setting, or I learn about where they put their blind, or, you know, and, and, and we do all this stuff together. And I'm telling you what, I am a good hunter because it's a priority that you've made in your life. That because you love it, you're actually going to do it. But if we're thinking about spiritually, and we looked at your calendar, and we looked at your checking account, and we looked at the time spent. And we looked at the passion, and we looked at the priority, and we looked at the love. How much time in 2019 did you spend on discipleship? Allowing someone to pour into you, and you pouring into others. How many disciples did you make? You know, we, we go to this wonderful illustration that I love, you know. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Not only fish, but men. Fish stink, you know. Men, you know. Sometimes men stink too, but... Uh, but no, he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men, and this is going to be your mission. And because you love me, and because you understand the great sacrifice that I made through my son Jesus, this is going to bump up the priority of your life. And if you want a new vision in 2020, if you want uh, to, to walk away at the end of 2020 and say, I grew in the Lord this year, I'm deeper, my faith has grown, I feel closer to God than I ever had before, then something's got to change. If you want the same results you got in 2019, keep doing the same thing. And maybe for some of you that worked. But probably for the vast majority, I'd say 50% or more, we were like, hey, I was like this, maybe like this, or maybe like this, then something has got to change. Something's got to change. Commit to the spiritual priority. Second thing is, you need to commit the time. You need to commit the time. You need to take time for what's important. You make time for Jesus. You make time for spiritual development. You make time to read your Bible. You make time for prayer. And you make time for what's important in your life. And if there are other things that are important in your life, we could look through that and say, you know, uh, sports or hobbies or watching movies or whatever. Those are fun things. Those are important things. I like those things. That's great. But how much more should we be about the mission of Jesus Christ? And how much more would our life be enhanced if we were more like Jesus and could grow to be more like Jesus and would make that a priority? And you would feel so much more fulfilled than any movie or any hobby you could ever be a part of if we would just put the time in with the Lord. Put the time in with other people that are going to lead us to the Lord. So we have the, to commit to the spiritual priority. We have to commit the time. The last thing is we have to commit the effort. We have to commit the effort. Did Paul in this scripture ever say, hey, it's really easy, it's really low commitment? Okay, it's really easy, Timothy. All you got to do is take what I've said to you, you pass that on to other people, faithful people, who pass it on to other faithful people so this gospel can go on. No, he never qualifies it. In fact, if you read the New Testament, it doesn't ever say any of it's easy. It doesn't say that any of it's not time-consuming. And I wonder then, what motivated people to do it? 
Is the death of the Son of God not enough motivation? Is the fact that he could save you from hell for eternal life, that you would actually have heaven, not enough motivation? Because sometimes I don't think it's about, you know, all these other things. Sometimes I just wonder if it's about our love. And if maybe if we could just throw up on our video screen Jesus getting whipped within an inch of his life, maybe that would motivate us. We could watch him be crucified and to know he didn't do anything wrong. He was just taking on your sin and my sin. Could that sacrifice be enough to motivate us to make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples and to make that a higher priority in our life? To commit to a higher spiritual priority, to commit to the time, and to commit to the effort that's going to take. Because effort equals sacrifice. You do realize that. That you're going to give up something that you love for something that you should love more. And that would be Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that that would be the motivation that would cause us to want to grow to know him more and to serve him more each and every day of our life. Matthew 6.33 puts it this way. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then it says, and all these things will be added to you. All the other junk in life will line up if you'll just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You'll be amazed at how rich life is. I want to end today with a story from uh, another uh, minister. You may have heard of him. He's at a tiny little church. His name is Andy Stanley. Have you ever heard of Andy Stanley? He's written several books, and he has an intro to one of his books. And I, I heard this about a week ago and, and decided to share it today to just kind of close our time together. Now, while I'm reading this, I really just want you to focus on the story. Don't focus on me or anything going on up here. Just focus on the story because this ends differently than, than I thought it would. And there's a real good challenge for us as Christians and for God's church at the end. Um, so uh, it was a, a trip that Andy had taken to China. And he says this, he says, during our visit, we were invited uh, to uh, go to a leather factory in China. The owner was the friend of a friend of mine from the United States. When we arrived, he graciously insisted on serving as our guide for the day. Before we began the tour, he introduced us to a little Chinese girl in her 20s who had worked her way from the factory floor all the way up into management. He asked if it would be okay if she shouted us on our tour for the day, and we agreed. About two hours later, we were back in his office for a quick recap of our tour, and as we wrapped up, he said, does anyone have any questions? And to all of our surprise, raising her hand about shoulder level, our shadow spoke up. I have a question, she said. And then turning to me, she asked, are you a pastor? I had no idea where this was going. I had not introduced myself as a pastor. I wasn't even sure if it was okay to be a pastor. I mean, we were in China. For all I knew, she was a government plant assigned to follow us around all afternoon to see if I'd say anything about Jesus. Yes, I said, I'm a pastor. What she said next in her beautiful broken English caused the hair to stand up on the back of my neck. How good is good enough? She said, I recognize your voice. I was stunned. How good is good enough is the title of a little book that I just recently published. The manuscript for that book was based upon a message I had preached years ago. She continued, 
Two years ago, someone I know gave me a CD of your sermon, How Good is Good Enough? And I have listened to it over and over. And then I asked Jesus into my heart to save me and to live inside of me. Before, I was empty, but now I am full. And he says, if you think I made this up, I don't blame you, but I have witnesses. She went on. I wanted to go to church, but there are no churches in my city. I began attending a Bible study in an apartment close to where I live. Sometimes I ride the bus to church, but it is two hours, and I'm always late. The bus ticket is quite expensive, and I don't know anyone at the church. I was both honored and humbled, but she wasn't finished. Looking at her boss, she said, can I ask the pastor another question, please? He nodded. Pastor, she said, why doesn't everyone in America go to church? I still haven't recovered from her question. I had no idea how to respond. I still don't. How do you explain thousands of empty churches to a young lady who would ride two hours on a bus to attend a church in another city? A young lady who would be there every time the door was opened, if the door was open. The Bible study she attended was part of a network of underground churches that the Chinese government refers to as an unregistered church. Her participation in it put her at risk. Owning a Bible and carrying it with her put her at risk. Talking about attending church in front of her boss put her at risk. And imagine her shock as she were to discover that not only do most American Christians not attend church regularly, but they don't even read their Bible. In fact, in most churches, there is a closet full of Bibles that are lost and left behind. I don't remember how I responded. I said something entirely forgettable, but I have not forgotten her question. It's bothered me ever since. So, why doesn't everybody in America go to church? Why is the church so resistible? Jesus wasn't. And once upon a time, his church wasn't either. When I read that, I grew quite convicted. As I thought about myself, I thought, what am I doing to damage the mission, to not carry out the gospel? How many personal disciples have I made in the last year? What part of, of my life am I falling short as an example and as a witness? And you get to that point and you start to, to, to be a little bit introspective. And you think, maybe I'm part of the reason the church is resistible today. But I love what he said because it hasn't always been that way. There have been some fired up people and some Christians. And if you think about your life, there was somebody, someone, maybe it was your mom, your dad, a friend, maybe someone from a church, maybe someone drug you to a VBS or to a youth group, but someone cared enough to introduce you to Jesus and to disciple you. And that's where that change started. And maybe you're like this guy here and it just never has been passed on. But maybe, just maybe, you're one of those that could pass it on to someone that could pass it on to someone. They could pass it on to a whole bunch of someones. 
and make a huge impact for God's kingdom in the world. That we would fill heaven with lost people because you are Christ's ambassador. God is making his appeal to the lost through you. And so it begs the question, are we living in such a way? Are we speaking in such a way? Are we serving in such a way? That people will look at us and say, I want what that person has. And that God could use that in a mighty way to bring about his kingdom's ultimate goal and work. You and I are called to be a part of that work. Are we faithful and are we answering that call? That's what I want you to consider today for 2020. And then what are you going to do different? What are you going to do? What's your part of being faithful? We know God is faithful. We know God has done everything for us. Scripture says he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. How are we going to serve him? How are we going to give back? How are we going to be examples in the areas of speech and life and love and faith and purity? How are we going to serve so that others will know Jesus? I want you to consider that as we come into our time of invitation this morning. Please pray with me. Lord God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that there's a challenge in your scripture every day. And I thank you for passages like 2 Timothy 2.2. A faithful man named Paul, who scripture tells us he'd been shipwrecked, he'd been beat, he'd store, he had, had stood up in, in false trials against him, um, all because of the gospel, all because of his work, his mission work for you. But he never stopped. And he meets people like Timothy and he encourages this young person in the faith pass it on to pass it on to someone who will pass it on to someone else who will pass it on and we feel that all the way here into this sanctuary in 2020 God it's a challenge this morning to consider that maybe some of us we're the reason the church is so resistible Lord for some of us we're just apathetic for some of us we need to, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus the high cost of our souls to the kingdom of God was the sacrifice and the torture of an innocent man and it was all done out of love and that all we have to do is so easy is to accept your free gift of, of grace and forgiveness that we could be made new because of that sacrifice that your son made God we thank you for that Lord as we sing this song I just pray if anyone needs to respond and you talk to someone about their relationship with you they they need to take that next step. Maybe they just need prayer and they just need encouragement. Maybe they are seeking a direction in life, God. I pray that they'd come over to the decision room and meet with some of our, our elders and our, our staff, our decision guides. That we could help start that discipleship chain today in so many lives. That God, in so many other times in life, you call us to respond. Do not be merely hearers of the word, but doers as well. God, I pray we accept that challenge this morning. We pray in Jesus' name.